Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. We've got a great guest today. We've got Ben Zweifler. You have probably seen him on the, the hit TV show Shark Tank with his product Pup Box, where he had three shark offers and he actually took a deal with, with Robert Hershevik. And so welcome to the program today, Ben. Hey, thanks, Derek. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Man, love your story. Very cool. I, I can't wait to get into it. Tell us about your product for just a minute. And then I want to kind of step back a little bit and I want to kind of hear about the journey. I, I love hearing the entrepreneurial journeys. Yeah, sure. So um, our company is Pup Box, like you said. Um, we are a monthly development box for new puppy owners. So we send both training information and products to people who get new puppies to kind of help walk them through all the challenges they face throughout puppyhood. Um, and yeah, we send out it's a it's a monthly subscription, and the price range is about thirty to forty dollars. And uh, we've been around for about two years now. Yeah, and you guys are rocking it. There, there's other subscription boxes out there, but the, your emphasis with the with the training and the and and the way that you take care of, of the puppy is great. So I, I love yeah. the differentiation. Uh, it's really really cool. So yeah, you, you gotta take me back a little bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about kind of your background in general, and then what what brought you to say this this is where I'm going to hang my hat. This is the idea that I'm going to run with. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we, my, my wife is my, my wife, Ariel is my co-founder. We really thought of the idea when we adopted our, our dog, our fur baby, Maggie. Um, she was, you know, our first child, honestly, we were totally obsessed with Maggie when she was an eight week old puppy. But the problem was we had no idea what we were doing, right? It was our first dog. Um, we were constantly scouring the internet and asking Google what we should be doing on the training side. And we were going to the big box stores and trying to find the best products, but we were having a hard time. We're getting a lot of conflicting information about what we should be doing to, uh, raise our puppy. Hmm. So, you know, we, we thought that there had to be a better answer out there. There had to be a solution that could really streamline the process, this, this process that we we're continuously tripping through. Um, and so we, we thought of the idea for Pup Box. And at the time, the uh, subscription box business model was really booming. Um, and we thought that that would be a great you know, distribution method for, for a monthly service like we wanted to offer. That's awesome. You know, a lot of people have ideas, but they don't always act on them. So what, what yeah. prompted, what prompted you right. and your wife to say, hey, that's great. But I mean, that's a big commitment, a big investment to uh, yeah, your, it your is. lifestyle and everything to, to uh, make that kind of change. So wh what made you decide this is it? You know, I think my wife and I are both entrepreneurs at heart. Um, my wife is, was, has worked in the pet industry for about 15 years. She's pretty much always worked in the pet industry since she was a teenager. Um, and she m most recently owned her own company that was a product manufacturer in the aquarium industry. So she had a lot of operational expertise on the startup side, um, owning and operating a business. And then I actually worked for a startup um, and I was one of their first employees and I grew with the company and learned so much about startup marketing and business development that I thought, you know, we had really complementing skill sets, her on the operational side, me on more of the uh, marketing and strategy side. And uh, honestly, you know, we, we were thinking of business ideas because we really want to launch a business together. I think, uh, 
you know, people who are really entrepreneurs at heart, it's not really a question about, you know, you know what they should do. It's more of a question of when they should do it. You know, I, I, I looking back in hindsight, I can't imagine not, not going out and doing it myself and, and becoming an entrepreneur because it's truly what I love to do. Yeah. I love that. I, I've been an entrepreneur for many years myself. I've, I've failed at some businesses. I've done well yeah. with some. And so I always have fun hearing success stories of, of launching a company the way you have within a couple of years time, which just sounds like a long time to some people, but it's not right. <laughs> it feels like a long time, but 24 months is not that long when you're, yeah, that's crazy. So it flies by, right? It, it really does. So tell me this, when did you realize we're onto something big here? I know that you have the background and the experience and, and you had the commitment and the drive, but when did you realize this is about to really take off? You know, it's a it's a process, right? People looking from the outside in, it seems like there was that silver bullet or that moment where you're like, "Aha, I've done it. I've cracked it." But that's not right. not really how it worked for us. And I think it's not really how it works for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, we started the company, we both had full-time jobs and we uh we worked those full-time jobs for a good uh year while we were trying to develop, you know, some product market fit and some early traction, um, and really just trying to figure out what our product was and, and what our customers wanted. And then, uh, you know, once we got some substantial, substantial revenue, we, we just had to make the plunge and we started doing it full time, both of us. Um, and then, you know, there were a couple, a couple milestones along the way that really helped validate us as entrepreneurs and also the product. So, you know, obviously early customer traction is a huge validator, right. um, showing that product market fit. And then, uh, when we were about a year and a half in, we were accepted into an accelerator program in the Bay area called 500 startups. Hmm. Um, and it's really well-renowned accelerator. And that really right. gave us a lot of validation, both on the entrepreneurial side and also on the, uh, on the product side. And from there, you know, we were really able to do a lot to systemize some of our growth efforts and, and continuously, you know, push the needle forward on the on the growth side. That, tell, tell me that's exciting. Tell me a couple highlights of of how you've scaled and how you've grown. I mean, give, give me a couple give me a couple benchmarks of uh, over these last two years. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we started in the middle of 2014, um, and I think you know, 2015 was our first full year of business, and I think we did about. $275,000 in that first full year. And then 2016, last year, we we more than doubled that. So we were close to $700,000 in revenue. So we've been consistently go- growing at, you know, double digit month over month growth. And um, I think that that growth is really uh, a testament to, you know, our customers liking the product, you know, consistently delivering a, uh, delivering a consistent product and uh, and just doubling down on what works on the marketing side. Yeah, that's exciting. So, so tell me, what are what are some of the biggest things that you've done uh, on the marketing, advertising, social media side that you found to get the best traction? Yeah, so I think when we first when I when I first looked at Pupbox, and uh, you know, this is my first solo venture, right? So mm. I try to outline this whole strategy map of what what we needed to do to reach success, and I try to just bite off way more than I could chew initially. I was trying to do mm. so many. I was trying to tackle so many different marketing channels. I was trying to go after, you know, content, paid, social, you know, more grassroots stuff with vets and breeders and trainers, um, and and we we really weren't making impact that we want to. And when we uh, got into 500 startups and we started meeting with a lot of mentors um, that had worked in tech companies throughout the Valley, we, uh, we learned that, you know, you can have a lot bigger impact if you focus on the things that you're good at and you, the focus on the things that you know work. So for us, that was social media. You know, we had a lot of traction on Instagram, 
Um, right now I think we have uh, about 90,000 followers on Instagram, but that was, we realized that's where our customers were sharing the product and that's where we could reach the most influencers that were the most relevant for our product. So we focused our attention there. We, we encouraged our customers to share photos, to kind of create this viral nature. You know, it's, we're dealing with puppies. So they're the cutest thing in the world. People are encouraged. I'm I'm jealous in so many ways that you've got this puppy angle. How fun. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, we worked with influencers. We try to turn people into brand advocates and, and all of that social sharing yeah. really drove a lot of organic traffic to the site. And then from there, it's just about closing those leads. Yeah. That's tell, tell I mean, influencer marketing is really hot right now. And a lot of people are still learning what that is, but to, for, for our listeners, give us a little bit of insight on that. Yeah, sure. So, um, I think influencer marketing can mean dozens of things at this point. Like you said, it's really an expanding, uh, marketing channel. It can, it can be anything from working with bloggers to working with celebrities, to working with people who just have a lot of followers on uh, whatever your your social platform of choice might be, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, as I mentioned, we really noticed that Instagram was where most of our customers you know, like to share their, their experience with the product. So we try to focus our influencer efforts there. We, uh, we also we, we did a lot of experimentation about the best types of influencers to work with. We made some early errors trying to pay big influencers to do a post for us and it just didn't have the ROI. So we kind of, we kind of scaled back and we focused on, um, reaching out to mid-sized influencers, you know, 10 to 30,000 followers and developing a larger base of those. So right now we have about 75, we call them celebra puppies. Um, (laughs) and we, uh, send them free product every month. We don't pay them to post. We just try to turn them into brand advocates. And, um, that drives a lot of, a lot of, you know, cheap organic traffic and really spreads the word, um, on Instagram specifically. Love that. And love the, again, love the puppy. I know it's not an angle because it's, it's where your heart <laughs> is, but man, from, from a marketing perspective, which is what we do, <laughs> I know having the puppy things, it's a, it's a, it's just an absolute dream. It is and, pretty awesome. I mean, people put like, <laughs> people put puppies in ads when they're not selling dog products, right? It's just, a, we, it's something people it. do, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we, we definitely lucked out. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for you guys. So cool. It's, what a journey you've had. And so then, so then tell me, what are some of your favorite moments so far with, with entrepreneurs? We I talked to one the other day who, who's done some big things and, and I was expecting a, a milestone of like hitting the Forbes 30 under 30 or some big thing. And it was, it was a tiny moment when they just, when, when they got feedback from a customer and, and it just means something different to each entrepreneur. But what are, what's a highlight or two for you so far in your journey that, that has been satisfying for you that you've enjoyed in the process? Yeah, I think that it is. It's, it's it's an interesting question because, you know, for entrepreneurs who are in the business living it every day, it's such an emotional roller coaster. You know, you could be at the highest high one day and then the very next day be at the lowest low and think that right. the business is going under. So, <laughs> you know, the milestones that sometimes the public sees aren't necessarily the milestones that stand out for the entrepreneur. Um, you know, uh, I, I talked to someone recently about it is important to take a step back and, and look at what you've accomplished and be really proud of all the things that you've been able to do because it, it gets wrapped up in in everything else that you're doing. So it's hard to kind of take the time to appreciate that. But, um, you know, getting into 500 startups was a huge validator for us. And then also, you know, the whole Shark Tank process, we we were skeptical of it. You know, it's so Hollywood. But then when we got in there and we're actually pitching to the sharks, they were extremely receptive of the idea um, you know, I think you mentioned it, but four of the five sharks wanted to to provide an investment and get in on the deal. The only person who went out was Mark Cuban, so that was very validating for us as entrepreneurs as well, and also for 
the product that we're offering. And then, you know, like you mentioned, your other guest said the, the customer feedback loop is so important that right. we see customers who love the product. And that's really the one thing that keeps us motivated on a daily basis for sure. How did, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. How has it been for you? I mean, have you, how do you guys handle, uh, how do you handle constructive feedback or criticism from clients about product or improvements? How, how do you, how does that work for you with customer and market research? Yeah. So we, we've done it a few different ways. Um, we're constantly testing to see what the best, see what the best results yield, because a lot of the times you get a ton of customer data, a ton of customer feedback, but that feedback doesn't necessarily tell you exactly you know, what you need to be doing. It's just, it can, it can be all over the map. A lot of the times, um, companies will get feedback that their product is too expensive, but right. almost never is your product too expensive. Um, you just need to provide more value. Right. right. So, um, for us, we, we have a, a great feedback loop just through our social channels where we're seeing people post the product, tell us what they like, what they didn't like. Um, and then we're also trying to systemize it more and work it into our you know, customer onboarding flow. So after all of our customers receive their first box, they also are followed up with a survey. If they fill out that survey, they get store credit. So we can really pin down which products were your favorite, which were not your favorite. Um, what did you like? What did you dislike? Um, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And that data is so important for you. And, but like you said, knowing what to do with it is important as well. Right. Because, you know, a lot of the times the, the price thing is perfect example. If everyone's telling you, you know, it's just too expensive. I cancel because it's too expensive. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to lower your pricing. It just means that you need to provide more value. Um, and I think that's a great example of, of gathering customer feedback and then figuring out what to do with it. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm curious, what, what does it look like for you as a life cycle of a client? Are they, of a customer, are they staying with you as their, as their pup grows into adulthood? Are you, how long do you stay with them? Yeah. So it's an interesting topic because, you know, you look at, you look at churn and churn and retention are such important metrics for subscription businesses right. and um, subscription box churn in our price range ranges anywhere from 10 to 25% because of, you, you know, we're, we're more expensive product. We're 30 to $40 a month. Um, and we're at the good side of that. We're close to 10%. Wow. Um, so that means we're, we're holding on to our customers for 10 months to a year. And that's, you know, really good in terms of the industry that we're in. Um, but you know, as you mentioned earlier, we're focused on niche. We're focused on puppyhood. Um, we do have an adult box that we roll everyone over into, but if we can acquire a customer when their puppy is two or three months old, hold on to them for 10 months or a year, we're really extracting a lot of value out of that customer more so than our more so than our competitors, even no matter where they acquire that customer in their journey, whether they're an adult dog or an older dog or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think people shy away from working in niches, working in smaller, spaces but i i think that's a mistake because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot less competition in a niche right you have a you can you can carve out your own place in that niche and that's really what we're trying to do we'd rather not compete against every company um that's trying to go after the dog industry which is a 30 40 billion dollar industry in and of itself we'd rather right. focus on a smaller couple billion dollar industry and try to get more of that market share. And you can really focus and take care of them and give them value and, and measure yeah. and, and retain. And yeah, that's right. a big deal. Off not, better product. Sure. Love that. Yeah. It's so cool. I love what you guys are doing. Hey, tell me, tell me about, uh, 
you just have to be specific, but tell me about having challenges or setbacks that you didn't expect along the way. And then, then maybe how you dealt with those. I mean, it's not always all smooth sailing, even in a two year trek where you run, where you, where you grow this fast. What are some things that you had, whether it be inventory or, or sourcing or what have you learned along the way that that's helped you grow? Yeah. It's almost never smooth sailing is (laughs) is what I've learned. But, um, you know, the growth in and of itself is difficult. That's one, been one of our, our biggest challenges, especially as a subscription business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we calculate our customer acquisition costs and our unit economics are good based on that customer acquisition cost, but you're always paying for that cost up front. Um, and especially with subscription businesses, you sometimes you don't realize the value of that customer a couple months down the road. So, wow. you know, when you're growing quickly, you know, you, you're you're pouring through capital, even though you're you're growing and your revenue is continuously growing. Um, so managing that cost of growth is really a difficult part of any startup, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the inventory side too, um, we have been pretty good, you know, keeping our inventory costs really low because we're a subscription. We can project out what our inventory levels are going to look like for future months. Um, but we've had trouble with, uh, you know, we work with our vendors on an ongoing basis. We inventory a lot of product and sometimes these vendors will be out of stock of product. They won't be able to fulfill our orders or sometimes these small independent vendors that we work with in the pet industry will go out of business and leave us in a tight spot. So managing that process has been, been a little more tricky than I think we thought it would when we, we got into it. But, um, like you say, there's always challenges and you just kind of work through them and, and keep going. Yeah, that's right. And, and so tell me, tell me about, tell me how you deal with setbacks. I mean, I've, I've, like you said, there's, there's big ups one day and then there's big downs the next. And actually sometimes they can happen in the same day. How, yeah. do, how do you, how do you move forward? I mean, is it, is it having a vision? Is it, is it having good people around you? What do you do to, to, when you, I mean, you could, entrepreneurs hit some real highs and real lows. And what do you do when you hit those lows? How do you come back from that and bounce back yeah. quickly? I just bury my head and cry and then yeah, right. get back to it. No, I think, um, I think that it's something that is not talked about enough about how much of an emotional roller coaster entrepreneurship is. Um, one of the, you know, I, one of the, I feel lucky because my wife is my co-founder. So we're able to, you know, share in a lot of this stuff, which makes it difficult in some, at some times, but it's nice to kind of have that shoulder to cry on when it's, you know, your significant other. So it's been a great support system that we've had for one another. Um, but I think that, you know, keeping perspective on, on everything is also important knowing that even though you are, you may be hitting a low that you'll, you'll bounce back. Um, also setting objectives and goals in the short term rather than just the long term, I've found is really helpful. I think too many, too, too much of the time people are setting goals, uh, quarterly or annually when they really should looking, be looking at goals on a weekly or monthly basis. Um, because that helps motivate you when you get behind on a quarterly or annually goal, it's hard to stay motivated. But if you have a weekly goal, you can't attain, you just move on to the next week. And I think that's pretty important to consider too. That's great. That's good advice. I haven't heard it shared quite like that. Uh, a year's too long. We, we've been doing here in our office a 12-week year where we're, we're looking at 12 weeks and then there's lead indicators each week. And it's been so much easier yeah. for our team to, to, to accomplish our objectives that way and, and, and be, uh, be results-focused. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, setting up a system of, you know, OKRs, objectives and key results is really a good idea to look at, okay, what are our objectives for the month? What, you know, what results are going to help us achieve these objectives? And then set up some, some benchmarks weekly to try to hit those goals. I think it's really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Hey, any other advice you have just for either someone that's, that's 
been on the fence about starting something, starting a business, they've got a great idea. What just pops into your head other than don't do it? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what, what advice do you I, have? <laughs> I think that, uh, I think one thing I would say is the opposite of what you just said, you know, just do it. The old Nike, Nike advice. I think that people are intimidated by a big project, but I don't think you need to start big. You can start small hmm. and just get started. Whether, you know, if you're thinking about a company, just set up a landing page or set up a Facebook group and see if you can develop some initial traction. You don't have to re-engineer the wheel before you can start a company, right? You just have to see if what your idea is has some fit in the market. Um, and once you once you make those learnings, you can go from there. Um, and I think people people get intimidated and they don't have to. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So, so let's talk about how far into your business were you when, when you uh, were able to appear on Shark Tank? Um, I mean, our, our Shark Tank appearance was pretty recent. We just appeared in the middle of November. Um, so we were about two years in. Now we're a little over two years. Um, and it was great. I mean, we, as you probably know, I think you've talked to other Shark Tank founders. We filmed six months before that or whatever. We filmed back in, in June of 2016 and we didn't air until okay. November. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was an interesting experience. We, we had, a, we had a lot of fun, but it, there was a lot of unknowns around it, you know, working with the producers, uh, they kind of keep you in the dark leading up to your, your film date. If you're even going to film, if you're going to make the cut and then after you film, they keep you in the dark some more and they, they tell you don't know when you're going to air or if you're going to air. So it's kind of a roller coaster in and of itself. <laughs> I, I think Ariel and I kind of just took it with a grain of salt and said, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Did you have over, did you, I mean, were you prepping? Did you have the pretty intense prep work of watching each episode? And I mean, how, how was that process for you getting there? Yeah, we, we were, <clears throat> I don't know. I've read some articles where people are like, we watched every single shark tank, you know, episode. We binged it over a three day period and took extensive notes. We didn't do that, but we definitely watched a lot of Shark Tank. We um, we <laughs> there's so many consistencies from episode to episode, right? With the questions that they ask, right. with what entrepreneurs get held up on. Um, so you know, it, my advice to any Shark Tank entrepreneur is: you obviously have to know your numbers, you have to know your metrics. We had done some pitching to other venture capitalists before Shark Tank, so I think we we were pretty comfortable with our numbers, but we, we definitely made sure that we knew all of that stuff going in. Um, and honestly, the most stressful far, part for me, and I think for Ariel too, was the, the two minute, you know, introductory pitch itself, because, yeah. you know, we don't come from <laughs> a theater background or whatever. <laughs> even memorizing a couple minutes of lines, isn't the easiest thing to do. And, uh, right. it was fun. the day before, we had a walkthrough with our producers um, and just all the producers of the show. And it's kind of your, your final, final take before the real deal. And uh, I just totally blanked on my lines during the pitch and we were doing it from all the producers. And I was like, <laughs> I just looked at her. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying here. And then we like got a line from the audience or whatever. And I, I continued and it was all fine, but they're like, <laughs> No, it's good you got that out of your system. Like, let's not do that tomorrow. And then when we got up there, we were fine. And, and you've seen and you've seen some episodes where it goes the other way. So you don't want to be that person that forgets your pitch either. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way before. But you're right. You, you don't have a, a theater background, and 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 uh, yeah, it's 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 intimidating if it's something you haven't practiced your whole life. I and mean, you're being an entrepreneur and doing the other things, right? You're not necessarily going to be able to, to memorize a monologue on the fly, and then especially pitching it in front of some intimidating uh, people that you have seen before. 
Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how many of the viewers have seen the episode, but we had uh, a puppy for each shark. <laughs> and so that was definitely the X factor. We had no idea what was going to happen with that. You know, these are live animals. They could do, you know, one of a million things. And so we, there was no way we could practice that. We, we, uh, we practiced in our little 700-square-foot studio in San Francisco walking, you know, through the kitchen with Maggie and stopping at our spot. But, but when you introduce all of these puppies, we had no idea what would happen. So luckily it all worked That's out. That's great. So what, what did your, I read a quote, what your mom said when she heard you were going to be on Shark Tank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told her she's not, she doesn't watch a whole lot of TV and she's, she's not really keen on the whole entrepreneurship or business side of things <laughs> to be totally honest. And I told her, I was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be airing on Shark Tank, and um, and she's like, "Oh, that's good." And uh, I was like, "Okay." And then <laughs> I was like, "It's going to be great. Like, you need to watch it. There's actually going to be puppies in the tank with us, and we're going to give them to each of the sharks." My mom just looked at me. She's like, "Do you think it's a good idea to have puppies in the same tank as sharks?" <laughs> I was like, "I don't think you get it, mom." That's great. I love it. Parents you are great. Watch, you gotta watch the show. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell me about. Obviously, you got it. You got a deal. And, yeah. and that, that's exciting. And, and you had several sharks interested, which is, man, that's such a, just a great price for your product itself mm-hmm. um, and for what you're doing. Uh, but tell me about the, tell me about some of the immediate shark tank effect, I guess is what they call it. What yeah. happened after the show? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's difficult because they only give you about two to three weeks notice before your air date. Um, they let you know what your air date is and what you can kind of expect in terms of traffic and, re- and, and sales and stuff like that. So we were trying to prepare and trying to forecast for the future months. It was also right before the holidays. So we, we really had no idea what to expect. Um, and luckily, our website didn't crash. We didn't have any issues on that end. And we saw a ton of orders come through, both the night of Shark Tank and also just kind of a long tail effect. We had a lot of just lead capture during the show and the week following the show, we just got a ton of traffic and we just collect as many emails as we can. And it really set us up well because it was just a couple of weeks before Cyber Monday and Black Friday. So yeah. uh, we were we were able to roll all of that momentum into those two biggest shopping days of the year. And we just had a killer uh, holiday season. That's awesome. Um, yeah, awesome. We, we, so so uh, when you come out of the holiday season, uh, how, how do you you guys you guys didn't panic in January, February this year, did you? <laughs> no, I mean, luckily, because it's a subscription, we kind of see the ebbs and flows. You know, we uh, we try to direct people towards certain uh, subscription levels. We try to get people to sign up for multi-month subscriptions. So, you know, we saw a ton of uh, orders for the holidays. And then, you know, we saw a lot of those renewals this month. So we see kind of the three-month three month spike. Um, so we weren't we weren't too panicked post holidays because we knew a lot of those customers were coming back. That's great. That's awesome. It's one of the nice things about a subscription business, right? Is yeah, you absolutely, don't have to and, and especially with the retention that you guys are doing, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, anything? Any other entrepreneurial advice you can share with our listeners today? Um, let's see. I think uh, one of the biggest things is just keep on keeping on. You know, there's definitely the highs and lows, like we talked about. But uh, at the end of the day, you're doing what you love. You're working for yourself, and that's. That's kind of the most important thing, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably it. What does success look like for you? Um, I think I, someone posed this question to me recently, and I think um, I think I'll, I'll share the same answer. I think people get get caught up too much in in success as just like an overarching term. I think that mm-hmm. there's you know business success looks different 
um, than personal success. I think for me, my personal success, I just had my first child too. So congratulations. Yeah. So I think, you know, keeping my family healthy, healthy, happy. Um, I think that's the most, most important thing, um, on the personal side. And then on the business side, you know, don't, don't try to set a major goal for success. Don't try to set it as an exit or an acquisition. Mm. Um, try to set it more on the on the shorter term, monthly, weekly goals. And if you're hitting those goals, then you're going to have a successful business. Yeah, that's great. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves for that big. Picture. Yeah, we do. Right. So, so how do you how do you unwind? What do you, what do you do to to? I mean, for, for me, I, I, we say sometimes that being an entrepreneur, it's not work because you love what you do and all those things. But you know, several years into <laughs> Who it, says some, that? <laughs> I used to say that. <laughs> Ten years in now with my company, I'm like, this is actually a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you uh, what do you do, or how do you find either balance, or what do you do to take a step back and go, okay, I'm, I'm plugging for a few minutes and to recharge and refresh. Yeah, I think uh, a couple things. I think staying healthy is r- really important. You know, f- uh, f- staying physically healthy is important mentally. Um, making sure you're exercising and eating well, and most importantly, getting enough sleep. I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to work themselves too hard, and it, it has the opposite effect. Um, but for me personally, you know, I try I try to do that. I try to turn off and get a full night's sleep. I try to, you know, go surfing. I live here in San Diego. I like to surf. I try to get outside and appreciate the sunshine. Um, but I mean, it's hard, you know, I can't, I can't sit here and tell you I'm the the best at all things either. You know, I, uh, I have, I have a hard time turning off a lot of the times, have a hard time separating work and, and personal life, especially working with my wife. So, um, it's, it's definitely a struggle. So at the end of the day, you do have to love what you do. Um, you do want have to want to work for yourself and and be motivated to build something more than you know helping someone else build something. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, that's if important. You, if thing. you could pick a resource, one resource that stands out to you for helping you grow as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, what, what jumps out to you? Um, hmm, I think that's a good question. I think that uh, talking to other entrepreneurs is probably the most. Um, most impactful resource I've been able to pull from talking to other people who have either done it before and failed, um, done it before and succeeded or people who are just doing it, you know, at the same place as you, when we, we, uh, launched a company in the Bay area. So there were so many startups there and a lot of entrepreneurs, um, that we could kind of draw on. And it was extremely helpful to hear from these people, you know, they're in the same spot as you are. They're doing, they're, they're trying to tackle the same challenges and either failing or succeeding. And, uh, and just that that thought sharing is is really a great resource to try to draw from. Yeah, great advice. And you guys, speaking of San Francisco, you guys made the move mid business yeah. from San Francisco to San Diego. Yeah, we did. We um, it was it was a tough decision. We love being in San Francisco. There's so many resources there for startups, both from the capital side, from mentorship, and also just you know the the general aura that is the Bay Area and the startup ecosystem. And we decided to leave because it was you know it was. It was cost prohibitive, and my wife and I were having our first um, child. We wanted to be closer to family. We wanted to be able to, you know, save some money on the operational side, and we were still small enough where we could do that. So we just made the decision to move, and we've been in San Diego for a few months. Um, and I think it was the right decision. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, again, thank you so much, Ben, for being our guest today. I want to invite yeah. our listeners to go to pupbox.com. It's it's for your for your fur baby, for your dog. It's an awesome place to go. They've got a, a they've got a great product. Check it out. Make sure you check it out. And uh, Ben's Weifler, thanks again for being our guest. And uh, we're going to continue to follow the awesome things you're doing. And congrats on being a new dad. 
Thanks so much, Derek. I appreciate the time. Talk to you later, bud. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. 